Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 149, BGG Hotness, 2017 wrapping up. We'd like to thank our Patreon backer, Martin, for joining us at the party, pal. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast with board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. Hey, and this is Anthony. Happy holidays, Anthony. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. Playing some games, hanging out, not working. It's the life, man. This <laughs> there you is the go. life. Hopefully everyone's enjoying their Hanukkah season, and hopefully everyone's gearing up for the upcoming Christmas season. So, Anthony, thinking that maybe you were really good this year and might get a couple of games under the tree? Uh, no. Uh, I mean, I've been really good, but people <laughs> don't buy me games anymore because it's dangerous. <laughs> like, did you buy this one? Probably. Did you buy this one? No, but it's really bad. Did you buy this one? Just just don't. Just, just don't. don't. It's, it's fine. <laughs> it's going to go poorly. We're all going to be sad. Just don't. Yeah. I think I get that, too. They're like... You like games. I'm like, yeah, just just stay far away from that. Just just stay away because it's a lot better for both of us. <laughs> you spent what? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to talk about it is what I'm saying right now. That's right. Or what games did you happen to pick up at that shop that said, you know, this is the best Monopoly ever. And we know how much you like Monopoly. So I don't know. Well, there are games that are going to be hitting the holiday season for everybody, and hopefully you, your family, and friends will get a chance to play those. And as always, everybody here, myself and Anthony included, wish all of you Happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, Happy Kwanzaa, and whatever you're celebrating this holiday season, we hope to join you at the table. All right, so we have a special episode for you. Obviously, we're talking about the BGG hotness. But using some Christmas magic, or some lack thereof, my voice is going to drop off a little bit because, you know, we had to jump back to the uh, voice of Christmas past to 
pre-record our At The Tables Acquisition Disorder and Question of the Week. But not to worry, you can still always keep in contact with us and get the newest and the greatest on board gaming by checking in with us on Facebook, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com, and especially our Patreon account. Uh, we have Martin join us this week, helping us bring you an ad-free episode, and would love to have you join us as well. Don't forget to rate us on Stitcher and on iTunes. And if you happen to be listening to us on YouTube, you know, drop a thumbs up there. If you do have any questions, comments, or concerns, or just something you would like us to talk about, don't forget to hit us up on our email account so that we can get back to you and improve our program. All right, with that said, let's move on with the episode. What's been going on with our Facebook group, Anthony? Well, I asked everybody what game they have spent the most hours playing in 2017. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, I know, right? So I figured not the most plays because then everybody's going to answer with Love Letter and Century and Splendor and all the games that take 15 minutes. What game have you spent the most time playing? I actually had to do the math on my own. So we'll, we'll see what everybody else has to say here first. Jerry gives a top five, and he has very specific hour counts. So I'm assuming he's using an app of some sort. That is impressive, uh, Jerry. Yeah. Castles of Burgundy, 19.5 hours. Fleet, 15 hours. Bios, Genesis, 14 hours. Scythe, 12 hours. Tramways, 10 hours. He's the only one who did that. So everybody else just gave a game. <laughs> so, And I'm sure I could figure out the math, too, but I am also not that careful in managing how much time I've spent on anything. Uh, Tim said, Mysterium and Sherlock Holmes consulting detective. Guess I like solving a good murder mystery. Jolene says Terraforming Mars or Marvel Legendary. Okay. Um, Mark says King Domino, which is impressive that because is that game impressive. takes 10 minutes to play. So that's several hundred plays probably. David mentioned Star Wars Armada because the game takes three hours to play, which is kind of what I expected to people to say. Steven says Gloomhaven by far. I had a couple people say Gloomhaven, actually. Daniel says Gloomhaven 60 plays, which has to be at least 100 hours, maybe 200 hours. We had a couple of Dominions. Somebody mentioned Magic the Gathering, which if you play that regularly, of course it is. Sure. Um, Darren says Mage Knight, which is another very long game if you play a lot, especially if a solo player is out there. So a nice mix of games, I think. An interesting mix between the really, really, really long games, the campaign games, and the really short games that you play like 80 times. I have not done the math on this. I think it's probably a toss-up between Gloomhaven and Terraforming Mars for me. I played Terraforming Mars 30 times this year. A lot of those are solo plays, which are only an hour long, but probably a third of those are multiplayer plays. So it's a good 50, 60 hours. Gloomhaven, however... I have no idea how far I've gotten, but I've played it a lot, and each of those is a couple hours long. So it's, it's between those two for me. I guess for me it would probably be Lisboa, and I continue to be surprised by the number of times this game actually hits a table, and it's just not my copy that's hitting the table, but people are bringing it out, and it since it plays, I would say, about two to three hours, if not longer, plus teaching time, that's definitely probably been my longest and most game amount of time during the year. And the only thing I'll, other thing I'll say is, as far as you know, gaming is concerned, one of the things that's been still very surprising to me is both online and in person, how many people are still playing Scythe to the amount that they first were when, when it came out from Kickstarter that that's downright impressive yeah i mean they keep releasing new stuff though too right the airship yeah. just came out last week um i haven't even got a chance to get those at the table yet but they look great yeah and i'm really surprised I, I i think that's great i know that maybe beyond for me lisboa i'd probably be i don't know maybe 
A second place runner-up would probably be Concordia, which has always been a standard in my game groups. So that's always kind of the fallback game. So I have a good number of hours in Concordia. So a lot of good, solid games have actually set a standard and a, a standard rotation. So you're not just seeing those kind of gateway games just coming back out again and again because of new players. It seems like people are really establishing these new games earlier on and just with more and more plays. Yeah, for sure. Well, that is some excellent gaming that's going on there. So, Anthony, let's talk about some gaming that we want to get in the future. So, what are your acquisition disorders for Santa Claus this upcoming holiday? All right. So, I actually had a game here for acquisition disorder, and then Chris reminded me of a different game that should have been here, and I fully agreed with him. So, he can <laughs> he can steal my original acquisition disorder this week. I'm fine with that. I have to mention the Lord of the Rings living card game app that is coming from Fantasy Flight Interactive. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Fantasy Flight Interactive is a new video game studio from Fantasy Flight Games. What game are they going to bring out first? And it turns out it's Lord of the Rings living card game. But it's not just a straight port of the living card game that we all know and love, which I love and have spent so much money on. It is a digital re-implementation of it so you still get a 30 card deck you still get to customize it it's still going to have the the lcg model where you get the regular packs that have all the cards you know what they are you're still fighting these enemies and you're going up against sauron but it seems like they've changed things a little bit around uh just looking at the screenshots looking at how it's laid out and even just listening to the announcement it's not exactly the same as the original game it definitely seems to be designed a little bit more for solo play as most digital games are. I don't know. I'm pretty psyched for it. As long as they take the core mechanics of the game, the, the LCG, and they re-implement them in a way that works for digital without changing too many things or, God forbid, dumbing it down in a way to make it more accessible for the masses. I know that's a good thing for companies. They want to make the most money possible, but I love my LCG. Please don't make it too simple, guys. I'm very psyched for this. I play this game a fair amount considering how many other games I try to get to the table, but not nearly as much as I would like. And I feel like if I had it in an app, if it was on my iPad, if it was on my laptop, I would play it constantly, incessantly, nonstop. I don't know what I would do with my cards, but this is a game that will definitely hit my tablet a lot next year as long as it's good. You know those little proof of purchase tokens that come in your punch boards that actually mean absolutely nothing? I feel like... When, it, when a game reaches a digital format, you should be able to, like, turn those tokens in or scan a QR code and at least get the base game. Like, you've collected everything as far as this LCG is concerned. Here's the base game because you're going to eventually have to pick up all the expansions because you've already done that. So, I'm wondering slash concerned interested and hopeful about how this lcg format from Day actually plays out because picking up these lcg packets is expensive but more more often just a little more cumbersome as far as trying to get these to the table so having them available digitally would be great i don't know is this going to burn you out is this going to be too familiar is this going to just kind of like shut down LCGs as a, I don't know, a tangible product in the future? Oh, that's such a good point. I think it's going to come down to almost 100% to price point. Uh, you know, an LCG pack these days costs 15 bucks. You don't get a huge discount on FFG stuff, so maybe 12 bucks if you're lucky. 
if these come out and they're ten dollars for each pack, I can see myself balking and just be like, you know what? I have a bunch of the cards. I'm not going to deal with this. If they're three dollars a pack, I'm like, sure. What the hell? I mean, even if I already have some of this stuff, I'll go back in on it. It's it's really going to come down for me a huge amount on pricing. Also, if it's exactly the same and I already have a bunch of this stuff, I don't know if I'm going to purchase the things I already have. Sure. It, uh, I think it's a good idea for them to go on the Lord of the Rings first because it is primarily a solo co-op game. It's not competitive. While there are competitive scenes for this, it's not hugely competitive. So people are going to go back in on this like myself because they like the adventure. They like the challenge of it. They go through it by themselves and I want to play it on my tablet. Whereas I don't think we're going to see things like Game of Thrones or Star Wars or um, Netrunner quite yet because those are competitive. And that's a whole nother ball game where you're translating a competitive LCG, which has an established meta, has an established you know, game system in place and putting that into a digital format to compete with something like Hearthstone is going to be a huge challenge for them. I almost feel like they're going to have to build a new LCG to do that. And I wouldn't be surprised if they did. But as a first proof of concept, Lord of the Rings is a good place to start. So I'm still excited about it. Please don't charge me a fortune for this, guys, <laughs> or I probably won't pick it up because I already own sure. several hundred dollars worth of your cards. But if it's reasonable, I'll double dip. I, and I know a lot of other people will, too. Yeah, I think that since this is still somewhat of a new industry as far as board games and digital versions, pricing is typically all over the place. Sometimes games going for a dollar and sometimes them going for, you know, 15, 20, even $25. So it's challenging. I know one of the weird things is these in-app purchases that at first seems like it's going to make a lot of sense, but kind of throws the game off. I know some some of the, the games that seem more obvious, at least for the expansion, sometimes the expansions are like, once again, either a dollar or $3 or $5 each. So pricing is going to be key for this. And we talked about this on episode 141. So listen to our early predictions of actually which game from Asmo Day would come out first and see how well we did on that. But this this is really, this is really a, a, a nice surprise. I'm wondering... Last thing on this, too, is like the same challenge you had with Imperial Assault, are we not going to get Lord of the Rings movie music as part of this presentation? Or is it just going to be some standard Asmodee, just basic sound effects and then the card art? Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like with the Imperial Assault, though, they had a huge licensing issue. That's why that app took so long to release. Sure. You know, they meant... They released the Descent app a year and a half ago. They mentioned the Imperial Assault app, you know, 15 months ago, and it took that long to get it out. And there's almost no content in that app. It's a tutorial and one campaign, and that's it, despite how much content has come out for that game. So I think licensing-wise, they had a huge issue there dealing with, you know, EA and Hasbro and Disney. When you're dealing with Lord of the Rings, you've got just the Middle Earth company. You've just got the one company which just recently passed Christopher Tolkien, you know, he re retired. So it's in the board of directors now. And I think they're much easier to deal with. So maybe they didn't have as much trouble with this one, but also it looks like the artwork just from the LCG. So maybe they didn't have, they just recycling assets. I would love if they had the music from the movies, but I would be surprised if they did. Yeah. This is something you're going to have to like, maybe play in the background. Like yeah. I do most of my games anyway. I don't really typically listen to the board game music. It's usually not up to the standards, especially when you can play, Literally anything on your phone in the background or your pad. 
Sure. Yeah, that's a good point. All right. So one of the games I want to talk about, and obviously Anthony want to talk about, is an upcoming game from Uwe Rosenberg. This is Rayholt, I believe, Anthony. Is that correct? Sounds about right. Okay. Not sure how my voice is doing these days. So close enough there. <laughs> yeah, but, it's Icelandic, man. Yeah. Close enough. <laughs> I usually, my Icelandic accent doesn't really play very well uh, with, with this voice. But nonetheless, now this is an Uwe Rosenberg game. So it's once again, as all good Rosenberg games do, this is going to be a, a game about agriculture. But it's going to be a game of agriculture in Iceland. So you're growing tomatoes and lettuce and carrots, which are interesting because... Those aren't the typical little veggie meeples that we've seen in his previous game. So it's not going to be the typical wheat, <laughs> at least not yet. So I think Anthony uh, will be happy about that. But basically, the idea of this game is using geothermal energy uh, in the island to cultivate the most fruits and vegetables for your tourists who are going to be coming to visit. And then utilizing those tourists and people to help you in order to make the most money and profits based upon you, you know, selling the right vegetables at the right time. And it's kind of a race as far as that's concerned by trying to line everything up perfectly so it's, you know, your orders get out on time. Now, once again, there is very little, if any, information at all about this out there. There's even some talk about a solo element. I know Anthony will be very happy about that. At least the initial talk about this game reminds me about one of his other games, At the Gates of Loyang, which once again are all about vegetables, all about customers, and being able to deliver to these ongoing customers or these one-time shot customers and utilizing workers to get you benefits throughout the game. Now, Uwe Rosenberg knows his agriculture, and the artwork, at least on the cover alone, by Lucas Sigmund, uh, looks phenomenal. So, if somehow that artwork on the cover of this box, which is this beautiful, whimsical, yet, you know, uh, modern kind of, I guess, greenhouse follows through in the gameplay for an Uze Rosenberg game. Oh, man, you got to count me in on this. Oh, my God. It's the prettiest artwork I've seen on a Rosenberg game, like by eightfold. I know. All of his games kind of have the same rough aesthetic and look and feel and humor and the rule books are all laid out the same and it's very familiar and comfortable and I like it sure. because it's all the same. But objectively, it's not great. No. You know, it's the same artist. You see him in a lot of Euro games and it's fine, but it's not great. This is beautiful. Yeah. If this game goes in the direction of Gates of Loyang, I'd be super psyched because the last few Rosenberg games, while I love them, are huge and sprawling and epic and I don't need another one of those. And there are a whole bunch of polyominoes mixed in there as well. So kind of going back to Loyang and those early, really tight games would be pretty cool too. Yep. All right. So that is what we're looking forward to. Now let's get on to what's hitting our table. So, Anthony, what have you gotten to the table? All right. So I got a chance to play Otis or O-T-Y-S. I'm not really sure how you're supposed to pronounce it. Uh, it is a new game from Libellud and Pearl Games, uh, published by Asmodee, I believe. And the designer is Claude Lucini. Now, the game is about, I guess, these divers in the future who go down and scavenge for things. It's a fairly abstract game, but the cover art, which is beautiful, and the internal artwork and design work doesn't really convey that. So I know a lot of people have been kind of 
caught up in this a little bit. Like they look at the game, they look at what comes in there and they're like, oh, this is a big thematic thing. It's really not. It's a fairly abstract set collection worker placement game. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of Abyss for that reason, in that you look at it and you think you're getting something very different than what you're getting. And that's not a bad thing. It means the company invested in the artwork and the design to make it look really pretty. But usually when we see that, it means something different than this. The gameplay itself is fairly straightforward. What you have is a everybody has their own player board and it's recessed and kind of, you know, everything slots in. And what you end up having is um, a series of several different divers. And each of these divers has a different ability that you're going to try to trigger. And they're in a line, uh, in a vertical line. And then you have numbers on the left. And there's one, two, three, four, five. Um, these are the different depth gauges. And when it's your turn, you're going to activate one of these depth gauges. And on that row, you're going to take the actions accordingly. So you're going to take the action on the main player board because there's several different actions there, one through five. And those rotate as well. And those would be things like take an extra credit, double the action you're taking this turn, flip over one of your divers and make them more powerful. There's a few of those. And then you're going to take the diver action. And most of these are take this resource or move down this track or upgrade this, you know, various ability. Nothing too exciting, but they all kind of steamroll together, right? And then to the right of the diver is your resource pool. So at the very top of the track at number one, you can only hold three resources all the way down to number five, where you can hold, I believe, six. And the reason it tracks up, obviously, is that whenever you finish a diver or activate them off that row, you move them to the top of the vertical column and then the rest slide down. So if you let one of those divers move all the way down to slot five, it takes longer. But once you activate them, you can obviously load up more stuff. So they're trying to balance that out so you don't just use the top and kind of cycle through that. The actual gameplay, what you're trying to do is you are trying to gather different resources and complete different objectives. There are different contracts you're trying to get through, and these are going to require different resources. So each of the different objectives, and there's three of them that are shared publicly, and then some personal ones that you can pull in um, with different actions. And they usually just require between three and six different resources, depending on how many points you're going to get for them. And those are going to be based on the different actions you take. And so you're trying to cycle through your divers, manipulate their positions. You have batteries that let them move up and down in the row, manipulate the uh, placement of the different main board actions that you can take to kind of double or bonus your stuff, and then complete these contracts. The first person 18 points triggers the end of the game, and that's it. So it's a very tight in terms of point-wise, but you're only going to be getting between two and four points at a time. And there's a few ways to kind of enhance that and increase it. But generally, it's fairly tight. So the game itself is simple. It's very easy to teach. It takes five, ten minutes to teach. It's very accessible. The components are fantastic. The artwork is very nice. Thematically, there's so much more thrown in here that it really needs because mechanically, there's not a ton going on. It's a pretty abstract, you know, light midweight game. But I appreciate that they put the extra effort in, like Abyss. Uh, the main issue I've had with this game is there are some production issues. A lot of copies of this game have warping issues. Um, the player boards are these two or three layer things that have, you know, a bottom layer and then a top layer and a bunch of recessed areas to slot in your things. Almost all of them are warped in my copy. 
talking to other people, most other people's copies are warped. And that means they kind of spin on the table. It's very hard to put things in and move them without it just spinning around and throwing everything out of place. It sounds like a strange thing to complain about, but it almost thinks the game, you just don't want to play it because it just makes a mess of things. Like you have everything lined up carefully. It's supposed to match up with the board. Some of those things aren't on the board and then they just slide around everywhere. Not cool. Hopefully they fix that in the second printing. Hopefully they fix that for the people who purchased the first printing because it's just frustrating. Gameplay wise, you're not getting a big heavy game here. So you should know that right out of the bat. If you go to BGG, I think this is a weight of a three. Uh, it just started there. There's no way that's a three game, guys. It's probably more like a two. It's it's fairly simple. It's fairly accessible. You do end up thinking a few turns ahead because you you know you need to kind of program your actions a little bit to try to make sure that you know the the depth chart that you're targeting matches up with the diver when it gets there but it's not super complicated and the game is fairly short we're looking at about an hour tops so it's a solid game I, I give it a play right now um the current printing i would say don't buy this at all make sure you play someone else's copy first wait for them to fix the production issues here if you can get a solid copy with well-made boards that aren't spinning around and you know everything works the way it's supposed to um it's worth picking up make sure you check it out though i do also recommend like checking out a playthrough video on youtube because it is not what it looks like so if you're looking for a thematic deep diving underwater type of game it's not what this is it's very much a puzzly almost abstract style euro um fairly lightweight and if that's what you like, which is what I like, great. If it's not, just check it out first. <laughs> you know, you don't want to get tricked into buying a game that's not really what you're looking for. Oh, that's a real shame. I think one of the biggest problems, and this is not fair to the publishers and the designers, is that the box, the marketing of a game is is so precious because it's going to get that one or two plays. It's going to get that demo play. It's going to get that play tests at a convention or you know one tournament play and if it's not you know truly depicting either the player count or the weight of the game or certain aspects are just just not there as far as what's being claimed i i think the games a lot of these games are going down quick and hard i I think that this game would have done so much better if it just shot for a more reasonable goal it just it just put itself in a position of not meeting its expectations yeah it it literally i mean i understand thematically the mechanics match they do like your your guys are moving down this chart and it's like the depth you know the ocean it could have been any theme though and honestly i know people make fun of these you know dry euro themes but for a game like this that is a dry euro-ish game it almost might have been better because that's the audience you're attracting and it makes sense that these companies you know associated with you know how they are they're trying to attract a more general audience but you don't want to upset them either like i feel like that was the backlash against abyss beautiful beautiful game and not a bad game at all is it just wasn't what you expected when you finally played it and this is the same i'm going to talk about the Thing, Infection at Outpost 31. See, now that's it's thematic, Anthony, right? Truly, truly thematic. Yeah, it fits, man. Ah, man. What I won't do for this episode, I don't know. <laughs> Jeez. Let's talk about commitment. <laughs> All right. So, now, The Thing, if you are back from my day and age, it was this 
outstanding movie that really is a cult classic. It's It was by John Carpenter, and it was about this alien life form that was locked away in the Arctic. These different men come together to this outpost, and as they're exploring and digging around, they unleash this alien life form that's been locked away for, I guess, 10,000, if not more years. And this alien life form goes on to infect the crew here, and it creates these perfect copies, these imitations of other people in this little small outpost area. Now, obviously, the crew comes along and discovers this, and now you have this situation where who is real and who is an imitation? Who is these kind of horrific alien creatures that need to be destroyed? So in this game, you are playing a little bit of that. You are trying to figure out who is still human, who is alien, while at the same time, you are trying to complete your goals. And in this game, your goal is to get the heck out of there. Burn down this this outpost area and escape on the helicopter. Now, the alien life form has a couple of different ways of winning. It could destroy four different rooms, and then the game is over and the aliens win. It could move up the infection so far that it ends the game that way. Or... It could actually just be very, you know, quiet about it and sneak off while the humans are escaping on the helicopter and it wins that way. So at the start of the game, everyone gets a card and it tells you whether you're human or whether you're an imitation and you're a part of this alien infection. And then the captain of that table is going to pick an objective and that objective is going to tell what the scenario is, and what people need to do in order to succeed. Now, basically in this game, the humans are looking for a rope, and they're looking for dynamite and a flamethrower, because basically this outpost is in three different sections, and the humans need to be able to defeat four of these creatures over time, and need these three different pieces of equipment in order to escape. But in each of these different areas... As the game goes on, there's two additional civilization phases. So at the start, you could be human or you could be alien. And after you get past the first round, you'll get a secondary card. Think Battlestar Galactica, where you could be another human or another Cylon card. Here, the same thing happens. You could be human or you could be infected. And then you go on, you play a little bit more, and then you could be human again or you can be infected. But once you get infected, you're infected and you're playing for the aliens and you're playing for the bad guys and you really want to do some bad stuff, you want to destroy these missions, you want to stop people from succeeding. At the same time, the humans are trying to figure out who the aliens are based upon the cards that they're playing. But basically, once that mission comes out, that person is going to ask for help. And help is given in the sake of cards. These cards typically have dice that are going to be added to a roll or are going to be a specific equipment that's going to need to complete a certain objective. Now, once that objective is taken care of, there's going to be a little token in that room that's going to be randomly assigned that's going to could give you a resource that you need, like the rope, or it could show off as one of these alien creatures, these things, and then there's a fight that goes on. And when those fights happen, depending on the level, first, second, and third, there's going to be a Yahtzee kind of mechanic. So if at level one, you're going to, you're going to get three rolls to get a three of a kind. 
So not too bad. And once again, based upon the dice that you have available for you, that becomes a little bit easier, a little bit harder. And then as the game goes on, that becomes a little bit harder because you're going to have to do more and more to reach a higher standard. Now, the game plays pretty quickly. It's about an hour and a half. And you can play at a large uh, player count number. But I'm going to be honest with you. This game can play a lot of people, and honestly, this game should play a lot of people. So the game says play four to eight. I would say I would never play this game. I would never play this game less than six or seven. I would definitely play as eight. For one of the reasons is that it's pretty easy to figure out who is infected because once those cards are given to whoever the captain is on, on that round, and the captain shuffles the cards, but they're still going to get an idea of what's present there. Because based upon what the objective comes out there, it's going to re- require certain people to join that mission based upon their specialty and a certain number of them. So the captain's going to be able to pick. If you're playing with a low player count, you're not really going to have a choice. And that's not going to be a lot of fun because you're going to get stuck at some point with someone's affected pretty much throughout the whole game, which kind of throws a little wrench into things, but it's once again, it's obvious, and people are not going to want to bring that person on a mission. So you want to play with the larger play count better, the largest play count available, ideally eight. So the game uses some, I guess, Avalon resistance mechanic based upon who you're picking, but if you're not playing with eight, then you're really not playing the game at its best, And even at the best, honestly, it's a pretty average game. The game doesn't really tell you how much information you can share. And when it comes to these kind of games like Battlestar Galactica or Resistance, you want to have some talk back and forth. But how much talk is too much? When do you play certain cards is, you know, a little unclear. I think generally this game needs to be tightened up a little more as far as an expansion is concerned to bring this game up to a play. Right now, the thing, Infection at Outpost 31, is a dodge. Unless you are a hardcore John Carpenter, the thing fan, this game isn't as good as Resistance as far as choosing the right people for the right missions and being deceitful at the right times. And it's not interesting and engaging enough as far as the theme is concerned, like Battlestar Galactica being able to do things. If you're not chosen to go on a mission... You're not really doing anything. You're just waiting around. Or if you're found out to be infected, which I'm saying is pretty easy in this game to figure out, then you're really not going to be picked at all. So you could be in a situation where you could have an hour where you're pretty much not doing anything until it's your turn. And then whether you're the alien or not, people are not really going to want to do much with you. Nonetheless, for a large player count game, and for theming the game with the actual character names and the little miniatures that go along with the game, if you are that kind of fan, it maybe bumps it up for a play for you. But for everybody else, unfortunately, at least until there's an expansion, this game is a dodge. That is the thing, Infection at Outpost 31. That's a shame. I've heard a lot of different things about this game, so I was very interested. I have zero attachment to the theme. Mm-hmm. Not a movie I've really spent a lot of time with and it's not something I grew up with but sure. still like it's always a shame when you hear like nah it just it doesn't quite work yeah it's a little bit before my time too but I remember seeing this movie and it was like clearly a horror classic and the movie does such an amazing job of like 
instilling fear and paranoia about everyone around you. And the creatures are so grotesque and horrifying. And you get this game and it's it's well produced, but you don't get that horror kind of element in the artwork or the miniatures and you don't get that suspicion fear and doubt at the last second kind of situation here in the kind of gameplay so it's really not hitting the things perfectly i think this game really needs to take a look at maybe the others right where you have that situation where it's truly horrifying or look at the game as far as Battlestar galactica where you know, decisions need to be made, you know, on a, you know, razor thin margin or Dead of Winter, which this game is compared a lot to, which I don't see it because you're not going to specific rooms for specific things, which you really need to do. So this game should have looked at Dead of Winter a lot more because that's, that's a far superior game here. But if this is a game, if this is something for you, it's definitely something worth your time, especially if you have like an eight player count game, but otherwise still just you know avoid the infection at all costs trust me on that (laughs) all right so we moved on from the infection now on to the feature review okay so for our feature review we are talking about board game geeks hotness we're talking about the hottest games that everyone is talking about at board game geek and pretty much everything that's talked about at the table so for our last bgd hotness for 2017 anthony's going to go through the hotness and tell you why those games are up there and why you should keep an eye on them as the holiday season continues. So, Anthony, what do you have for us? Alrighty, guys. So it is exactly four days before Christmas, which means most of these games are not too surprising. These are the games everybody's looking for and looking at. But there are a few oddballs in here, and it's always interesting to see new stuff pop on the list. At the very top of the list is a 2015 Kickstarter game, which I actually backed and actually quite enjoy, called Resistor. And if you're wondering why it's here with a rank of almost 4,000, it's because Level 99 Games ran a promotion and was giving this game away for free for people who ordered over the holidays. So everybody was looking it up to see what it was. If you got in on that, awesome. It's a great game. You'll enjoy it. Nice little two-player game. If you didn't, it's fairly inexpensive, and I say go check it out. Number two on the list is going to be here for a very long time, and that's Gloomhaven. We don't have to talk about Gloomhaven. It just talked about it last week as my one of my top two games of the year and we'll continue talking about it probably forever because it's gloomhaven (laughs) another legacy game that just released about a week ago is charter stone this is the new one from stonemeyer games so this is a competitive uh legacy game and has all the stickers you could want literally all the stickers so many stickers guys Um, I'm like halfway through the campaign myself right now, so I plan on having a review of this in the new year once I finish it. But that's why it's up here right now. Lots and lots of people have that in their hands. Next one on the list, Dinosaur Island, a new one from IDW. This was kickstarted way back early in 2017, and it's, as you might guess, kind of a very, very colorful version of building your own dinosaur park. Uh, Worker placement and a few other fun things mixed in there. If you like dinosaurs, if you like Jurassic Park, this is full of puns and cool ideas, and people are jonesing for this one. It should be out here in the next week in retail. Next on the list is Gaia Project. This one came out the day after Charterstone, so another one sitting here waiting for me to play it. This is the bigger, slightly more expensive, plasticky space version of Terra Mystica. We got a chance to play this at PAX, and... Uh, enjoyed it quite a bit, so looking forward to this one, plus the solo mode that it has. Uh, next on the list is Fallout the Board Game. 
Fallout from Fantasy Flight, because there's another Fallout coming later, it's a miniatures game, is a cooperative game. It's very, very heavily focused on the storytelling, so less about combat. Combat's very unimportant here, more about actually getting through and completing the missions. So that one's almost impossible to find right now, so probably won't be able to pick that one up anytime soon, but very, very hot. Victorian Masterminds. This is the new uh, game from Eric Lang that is currently well, just very recently announced. So that's the reason why it's up here on the list. His first co-design with Antoine Bauza coming from Simon sometime in the next few months. I think they're going to kickstart it, they said. So it's coming very soon and don't know a whole lot about it yet, but it is a kind of a steampunkish theme. So take take with that as you will. We'll find out about it soon. Azul, this is the second release from Plan B Games, third if you count their Golem edition of Century Spice Road. It is a abstract tiling game that has soared up in the rankings. It's already in the top 300. People are loving this game, and it has tons and tons of just beautiful layouts and tiles. It's by Michael Kiesling, so it's a it's a known name as well. I haven't actually got a chance to play it yet, but I'm very much looking forward to it. Terraforming Mars. What can be said? It's Terraforming Mars, guys. Uh, Venus Next is coming very soon, so that's probably why it's back up here on the list, but uh, it'll be here for a while, I imagine. Kingdom Death Monster. Um, they spent the last three months shipping out all the Kickstarter uh, core copies to everybody who backed last year. So that's why this is up here, because thousands of people just got their copies of this $300 game. Uh, Rising 5, Runes of Asteros. This is another Kickstarter, and it's an, actually an app-integrated game. I believe Gray Fox Games is going to publish it in the spring in the U.S., and it's already out in several other places and uh, people who backed it. So that one is uh, rising up right now. It's a cooperative type of game, so a lot of people are digging that. Scythe is up here because of the new expansion that just launched, the Wind Gambit. So a lot of people are checking out their airships and their new end conditions. So lots of new play on that game. Hoping to get my expansion to the table soon as well. Seventh Continent. Not a lot of new news on this one. Uh, they had another Kickstarter. The first printing got shipped out over the summer, but... Because of the nature of the game, because of the volume of content, people are constantly in that group talking about it. And so I think it's going to be here for a very long time. Like Gloomhaven, lots and lots of conversation around this one. Arkham Horror, the card game. This is, it's, it's the hot LCG at the moment. Uh, it's story driven. There's a new pack every month. The new one just came out this last week. So that's why it's here. And then the last one, last one on the list here is Sid Meier's Civilization, A New Dawn. This is the streamlined, faster, shorter, more accessible Sid Meier Civilization from Fantasy Flight. Takes about 90 minutes to two hours. Seriously legit. Uh, just played it yesterday, actually. We finished it in just over 90 minutes. So it's not quite 4X, maybe 3.5, but very close and manages to pull off what no other 4X game that I've played has pulled off and keep it short and simple and accessible and easy to teach. So that's why this one's up here as well. It's getting a lot of buzz. So there you have it. The hotness. Okay, so that's everything for this extra special holiday episode. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you, your family, and friends a seat at our holiday table. <laughs>